0: Hi everyone, I'm Aditi Maliwal, a partner at Upfront, and thank you all for coming to Mark's Bar Mitzvah. I'm glad that we have more faces in the audience, and I'm very excited about our panel today. Um, I want to introduce everyone to two guests who actually need no introduction from me, um, general partners of uh, USV, Rebecca Caden and Nick Grossman. Before we dive in, they've both been on pretty interesting journeys themselves. They've done a whole variety of things. Rebecca, somewhat of an unconventional start, but I'm going to tell you, let you tell us more about your journey of everything you've done to the point that got you to USV so far? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. This is fun to to be here. Um,
1: I'm Rebecca, partner at USV. I am um, from New York City originally, started out after college as a journalist, which is really what I thought I would do, and uh, very much loved, but took a hard right turn um, to business school and joined a firm called Mavron, which is a consumer-focused firm um, in the Bay Area in Seattle. Spent about six years there um, and then, you know, uh, got an email from our partner, Fred, um, saying, hey, you want to have lunch? And um, got to know the team at USV quite well over the course of nine months, probably, and joined the partnership at USV coming up on um, six years ago. That's awesome.
0: Nick? Somewhat of a different journey.
2: A little bit different journey. Everybody. <laughs> I'm Nick Grossman. Uh, I've been at USV since the end of 2011, so um, 12 years uh, now, give or take almost. Um, I met Brad Burnham, who's one of the founding partners of USV, in the summer of 2005. Uh, I was at the time working at an urban planning consulting firm because that was my first you know, career working in cities and how do cities get made and designed and built. And Brad was a a client, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, this guy is really smart. I've never met anybody who really thinks like him. I didn't even know what he did, but he just made an impression on me. And that was about a year after USB-V had been formed. Um, He's just one of those people who kind of sticks with you sometimes. Um, And I'd always been interested in technology and design, and my career... Went from the urban planning world into uh, I let, helped lead a company for seven years that was a software and media company focused on urban technology, data mapping and transportation. Um, during that time, I learned a lot about how to run a company and you know what kinds of mistakes to make and, uh, and, and a lot of twists and turns. And, and Brad was a real mentor to me during that time. And I would go see him every you know six months or so. And I was at a transition point at the end of 2011, uh, thinking about what to do next. And um, I had lunch with Brad and he had a, an idea for a side project focused on tech policy, which I didn't really know anything about, but I was like, well, I'll talk to Brad about anything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that turned into sort of an invitation to you know, explore some ideas at USV, which I, I did for, which I said yes to, um, because, you know, just because. And so that was uh, then, uh, I had done a lot of work in open source, I had done a lot of work like running an operating company, Uh, there were a lot of things about the the work that USV did that kind of clicked with me. As we got more into crypto and Web3, which is all an open source, you know, architecture, that really made sense to me. Um, I joined the partnership in 2018. Um, So. Awesome.
0: Very different journey to Rebecca's journey here. You know, we were talking a little bit about this backstage, but USV has been very thematic, or rather, has been sort of investment thesis oriented. And, you know, you were there when it was thesis 1.0, and we're talking a little bit about sort of the evolution of 1.0 to 3.0 and you know, are we close to 4.0 and the sort of structural changes we're seeing in the technology world. But maybe I'm going to start a little bit with Rebecca on how you actually, you joined USV and six months later, you published that uh, thesis 3.0. How did that come to fruition? How do you kind of come into the partnership and then take over into what you believe will be the evolution for the next five to 10 years? <laughs> As Nick can attest. That's not quite what happened. (laughs) Um,
1: um, You know, I think one of the things that makes USV a pretty special place is this idea of individual input and collective thinking. Um, It's sometimes a hard thing to describe, but we spend a lot of our time as a partnership talking about ideas and blending all of these inputs that we each have together about ideas we have into a collective output. And at some point, one of us takes that output, and it's been different people at different times, and says... um, really what we're interested in right now and really the cohesive thesis um, deserves a rearticulation. But when that happens, and this was certainly the case with Thesis 3.0, it's much more a reflection of what internally we are already doing and where we are already versus something new. And so, um, you know, I kind of raised my hand to do that, but it is very much an articulation of, of group thinking, which is really how we work across the board, everything from you know, an investment decision to a thesis. Um, The other thing that's worth saying about the thesis approach, we've published three articulations of a thesis, but they're much more on a scale where they build on each other than they are individual and Mm -hmm. distinct items. Um, If you think about, you know, the first thesis, which is large networks of engaged users to, you know, leveraging networks to broaden access, which is effectively what thesis three point zero is there it's it 's a scale, and when we think about where it's going to go, it will continue to be that because this is in evolution, we always like to describe, I actually don't know who first said this at USV, but that USB is this kind of long continuing conversation and people come in and participate in that conversation in different ways over time. And the thesis is when we kind of throw that conversation out into the world, really so that we can ask for other participation and that we believe thinking in public and pressure testing that is going to get us further than just doing that in an isolation box.
0: Yeah, well, and I guess to that point on sort of, Going back a little bit to what thesis 1.0 was and the evolution that you've seen from 2 to 3, I guess, how do we think about all of this with regard to what we are seeing in the market today and what we're seeing happening, whether it's in crypto, whether it's in Web3, whether it's seeing the distribution of different networks today? How do you kind of see that coming together?
2: Yeah, so... uh one of the founding ideas or influences at the very, very beginning of USV before there was a thesis 1.0 was Carlotta Perez and her research on techno-economic cycles Mm -hmm. and how different things are possible at different points in the cycle. And I think one really consistent theme across the history of USV was to try to look at where we are in whatever cycle we're in and see what's possible and what's likely to happen next. And so thesis 1.0 you know Brad's tweet large networks of engaged users differentiated through design and defensible through network effects was tweeted in 2011 the firm was founded in 2003 there was 8 years of you know investing before that was sort of crystallized but the idea at the time was you know we are entering the deployment phase of the internet we've got all of this infrastructure that's been built you know routers and chips and you know but the applications layer hadn't been built yet and the intuition was okay, now that that's all there, we can build all this and it will change the economy, right? And then the the specific idea of large networks and so on kind of came later. I think we're always looking for that, right? So, like, what are the big things that are fundamentally shifting how the economy is going to work right now? Um, you know, we're drawn to these big structural drivers like climate, like crypto, like AI that, you know, are really going to kind of change everything and then we try to look at okay what do we have what are the pieces that are available on the table right now in crypto you've got base layers you've got zero knowledge proofs you've got a bunch of stuff but you don't really have the application layer yet so how's that going to be built what's it going to take in climate you know we've got capital and we've got you know imp- like really a lot of pieces of infrastructure but we need social change we need you know a lot of economic shifts financing shifts yeah a lot of financing so we're just always looking for where are we in the cycle and how's that gonna help us know where to point for the next?
1: Yeah, I think like another articulation is that we've been, USB is kind of built on this obsession with the cycle that Nick is talking about from Carlotta Perez and where are there places where the infrastructure and the application phases are not aligned, where are there kind of massive shifts where they're out of order and one needs to play catch up to the other, that's where opportunity is for us to kind of dive into and invest in.
0: I like that. Thank you. But, and actually, I remember the 2020 Upfront Summit, my first Upfront Summit as a part of the Upfront team, Albert and Fred were on, up on stage. Talking about climate. And talking about climate. It was yep. kind of like the first time they were sort of publicly talking about the initiative and kind of where they're going with that. And well, maybe first. That's an example of um, public half-baked thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about things before you're sure. <laughs> but I think you'd raise the fun at that point. Sure. <laughs> um, how's it going? The Climate Fund? Yeah. Um, I think, um, someone was
1: asking me this yesterday, I think the Climate Fund has been a really exciting moment for USV, honestly. I think um, there were several years, it, it, it was a massive move for us. Um, we had never thought about, let alone raised, a distinct category fund, mm-hmm. and in fact had chosen not to with crypto, which was really the first obvious place where that could have happened, and for many reasons we can talk about, decided not to do that, largely that we believe that our crypto thesis and our core software thesis are one and the same. Albert really came in and rang the alarm on climate and, it, and we spent almost 18 months maybe really turning that around and talking about what that meant. Um, was that investable? What is the thesis behind it? Where is their opportunity? Is it the timing right? What is this right structure? All of these kind of questions um, and deciding to break it out. And um, I think we did it not totally knowing how it would go, how we would allocate time. We didn't hire a specific team against it. All these kind of things. And I, I think the first thing that's been great is I think we all love it. Um, and USB. One thing I love about USB is like that leads a lot of the decision making. And I think we're all deep in it and believers that both the timing is right to build breakout category defining businesses um, that are also are going to decarbonize the planet and that. Um, there is a place in the capital stack for what we want to offer. Um, So how's it going? I think the verdict is out from any results perspective, obviously. We um, just activated the second climate fund, but we're excited to be doing it.
2: I think we made 18 investments out of the first climate fund, and I'd say maybe roughly half of them look like traditional USV investments, software-defined networks that are either data networks you know asset networks uh finance networks things in you know ev charging and you know grid grid services and and so on um you know the sort of everything on enter, like uh carbon credits and so on there's a, a whole bunch of stuff that like you know could have been a fit in the
0: mm-hmm. in the
2: usv thesis prior to looking at climate as a an un you know a new area and then there's probably half of the fund which is things that look a little more different so we have two nuclear companies we have a you know, a company that's reforesting land um, in Brazil, um, another one that's doing uh, algae pools for carbon credits. So there's a handful of things that are that are quite different. Um, you know, from a We've done, I think, two things to sort of make that fit within how we work. One is we made it a separate fund on purpose. Uh, we wanted to bucket the risk because it was a new strategy. There's also some, some, LP, some new LPs who wanted to come in that were really interested in climate uh, specifically, and so we wanted to make that possible. And then I think if you look at the the portfolio composition for our first climate fund, in the areas where we've you know strayed from the things that we've you know had a lot of experience with, we've sized those investments you know in ways that are appropriate. And we've also developed a really strong network of climate specialist co-investors uh, who we've been you know co-leading deals and co-investing with a whole bunch. This is something I think we learned a lot about in crypto where you know in 2015 16 17 it was clear that there was a whole brand new world emerging that we as generalists could understand at a high level but weren't deep in And so we co-invested a ton with crypto you know specialist funds there so i think we're running a, a version of that kind of playbook and the climate fund too and that really feels good to us
0: yeah well you also said that it's the same team that's investing out of the core fund as well as the climate fund and i know that our job is all about context switching and like having that constantly but this is like hard context switching sometimes when you're investing in a nuclear company and then on the flip side looking at an ed tech business and i guess as investors, as sort of leaders of the firm, how do you encourage people? How do you encourage each other? How do you push each other in that mentality of, like, you know, don't just spend time doing all of those ad tech deals, all the fintech deals, but also start thinking, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone? How do you create the mental model for that? I I
1: think it's a great question and something we've actively talked about over time. I think first, like... USV is kind of built on this idea that, um, of a generalist approach, right? That we're not built on a team of experts. We're built on a team of generalists that are learners. And so how do you go from interest or intrigue to perspective in a structured and repeatable way? And how do you build that muscle internally so we can say we're interested in direct air capture or battery technology? And we aren't experts, but we can figure it out enough To have a perspective you know on a team that can go after this Um, so building that muscle in other areas i think we really had to lean on it and climb it and some of those took longer i think the second thing that allows for it is frankly the the sizing of our funds. Um, We are not a massive platform. We purposely raise funds that allow us to take a bottom-up approach, right? Where we do not have to be in every great company, and we won't be, and we won't be in every great climate company, but we can take the time to develop understanding on these specific areas of interest for us and go after them in a dedicated way even at the risk of not, you know, doing that on something else that might be interesting. If we felt like we had to kind of cover the world, I don't think we'd be able to do that. And the third thing is we do actively push each other on it. There have been times where we say, like, hey, like, can I pull you into doing more climate? You know, enough of that fintech stuff you're doing over there, or vice versa in, in, in different ways to make sure that we're all engaged and be very, Hyper aware that the expectation isn't that there is a climate person and there is a crypto person, that you know a climate company comes in. We should all have a really strong perspective on what they're doing. It,
2: and it's 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 sort of like how we operate the core fund anyway. Like there's a wide variety of stuff in the core fund, right? Learning, marketplaces, infrastructure, you know, um, you know, health and so on. And I think in climate, there are a lot of categories too, subcategories, and everybody's not doing everything, but. Everybody in, at the firm has done a climate deal, has done a crypto deal, almost everyone has done, you know, learning and health. Like, So we, we have this kind of coverage where we don't expect everybody to be an expert in everything. And even within climate, you know, I've done a bunch of our, uh, two of our investments in adaptation and resilience around like flooding. And that's an area that I'm interested in and have kind of spent some time on. I'm not looking at nuclear deals, right, but Fred and Albert are really into nuclear and so they're, you know, and I'm not trying to learn that, so I think we kind of are doing it the way we've always done everything, it's like another basket of of topics for us to cover, but it's not like,
0: yeah.
2: you know, totally foreign.
0: What I, what I feel like I'm also getting out of all of this is there's, as you said, Rebecca, the individual contributor to the group thought, and It is fascinating to think about that in a room and that in person and that when you guys are all together. The last three years was a little bit different. How do you translate what sort of the USV Hive looks like and how do you take it to, I mean, tactically, how did you guys do this? Because even creating a firm where you have that level of trust, that level of engagement, it doesn't happen overnight. You guys know each other. You said you were It's much better in person. I I don't think there's like any way around it. We made it
1: work. 100%. But I remember that like, In COVID, we did a partner offsite at um, one of our partner's houses, and we were all like, ah, like, this is better. You know, I think it's, I don't know how everyone else here felt, but um, I think we felt it was functional. We made some good investments, or hopefully good investments, or interesting things. We pushed ideas forward, but... I think the quality of thought we can get from being um, in person together is kind of of a different caliber.
2: Totally. And we've also expanded our office. We have a new office now, the post-COVID setup. It's a hub for our portfolio and our community. We're running tons of events. we are I, I just can't get enough of being in person together. I would say... On the flip side, I, th- I think we probably learned some important new moves during COVID. Like we're better at communicating digitally, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's on Discord or Signal or whatever Not else. Not good enough. Knock, knock, <laughs> we're still working on it. But like, you know, I think that's, it's. I feel more connected in general to the partnership and the team because we went through this whole period where we you know, had to do it that way and now we can do both.
0: Yeah. It, it just talking about COVID a little bit before we sort of change gears into something totally different. But how did you guys think about sort of I know you raised a fund right before COVID and then you announced another fund during, um, I think it was 2021. How did you think about pacing? How did you think about what you guys do and keeping it true to who you are when you saw the market doing what it does? And I you've talked plenty publicly about sort of the fund size and kind of why the strategy has stayed the same, but how did you think about pacing? How did you think about the choices you made?
2: I mean, I think like everybody, we went faster in 2021 than we normally do Mm -hmm. certainly. And, um, I think the whole industry went really fast. And it was a combination of where the market was. It was a combination of doing deals on Zoom. Everything was like in hyper warp speed. Uh, and, and so looking back, I, you know, I, you know, we're, gonna, we're gonna see wh- where that vintage you know, lands. I think um, you know, one opportunity is that a lot of the, we may have opportunities to buy into a lot of the 2021 vintage companies at lower prices and increase our ownership and, and manage our reserves like, differently than we had previously. But, but it definitely was fast. And I think, you know, it. I think there's an absolute connection between mm-hmm. remote and fast and uh, everything, ha- and um, uh, you know, obviously a bull market and fast. And I'm yeah. really excited to be more in person, you know, more of a steady pace. We do keep track of pacing across all of our funds, you know, historically, and we know kind of what normal should look like for us. And I think we're excited to, like, not stop at all, but just get, you know, reset the pace a And bit we now. have,
1: if you yeah. look at, you know, the last nine months. One thing we did when we felt like we were going really fast, actually, is we paused and we said, okay, and, and look, like, they were good opportun... They, they seemed like good opportunities, and we think some of them really will be, and the market was there, and so it's really hard to to not, but we were cognizant of the pace that we were at, and so we said, okay instead of just continuing, like, let's stop and do deep dives, which we sometimes do, where each partner will say, we, like, throw up a Google Doc, and we put on a bunch of things we're interested in. Intersection of learning and AI, zero-knowledge proofs, micronuclear, like, what all these different ideas, right? And we say, like... Who's going to start where? And we try to pause ourselves by going back to the ideas and going back to the thematic approach versus just deal processing. And I find that when we do that and we just kind of like present to each other along the way, present is a big word. It's very informal, but
0: um, it helps us re-anchor that Mm -hmm. um, and slow down a little bit. Yeah, Um, I do want to shift gears to something that I think we talked a little bit about backstage and how you guys do things a little bit differently. Let's talk a little bit about distributions. Obviously, USV has taken a certain strategy, and you guys have done it, I think, in a pretty thoughtful way as true to who you are. Maybe share a little bit more. I know that you've said that you're a little bit newer, but Nick, you've sort of known historically how the way you guys have thought through distributions and giving back to a lot of the folks in the room. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you've thought through it.
2: Well... I got a few gray hairs in my beard. I've been at USV a dozen years, um, but we're the, the new kids on the block and the firm. Our partners have been in this business since the 1980s and have seen a lot of market cycles, and I think that has um, instilled a certain conservatism when it comes to uh, returning cash, capital, um, so that you know, it's been our regular practice over forever um, to take money off the table on the way up. Um, We did it in Twitter, we did it in Coinbase, but we've done it with crypto assets. Um, And And maybe
0: just share really quickly what happened specifically with Coinbase, too.
2: Sure. Coinbase was a really unique um, situation because it was a direct listing, Mm -hmm. um, which is the first one we'd ever participated in. We actually distributed 100% of our shares to our limited partners um, before uh, the listing, and everybody made their own decisions after that. That was a new one for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're more accustomed to a traditional IPO process with lockups. Um, you know, we'd also always been very conservative on that, too, where, you know, when we got when our a tranche got locked up, we would distribute. And, uh, you know, on the theory that, you know, our limited partners are not paying us to manage public positions, um, we actually have adjusted that policy in, in response to feedback from our limited partners who you know, it turns out that the big institutions, they will always sell when they get a distribution, and they sometimes are looking to us to, you know, manage those positions on the way out, just on the as we do on the way in. And so our new policy is a more of a gradual um, distribution policy where we make some more decisions, but we also know that we're not really public, uh, public market asset managers. Um, so we've been, you know, I think, very conservative on on distributing capital, when things are on the way up, and also, you know, responsive to our limited partners on, on how they would like us to manage out public positions.
1: Our partner, Fred, has always says that the fastest way to get rich is to sell early. And in some ways, <laughs> I think that's
0: somewhat dictated our strategy on yeah. distributions. Yeah. Um, I guess, speaking of Fred, You know, every firm is going through their generational transition. Every firm is thinking about what the next five to ten years look like from a team perspective, from a people perspective. What does the next five to ten years look like? Who's staying? I mean, who's leaving, if you want to share. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But kind of what does, what, I mean, the Hive exists because you all trust each other. You have built those relationships. It's longstanding. How do you think about what's next? Yeah, I think USV is this, like, really interesting, somewhat
1: familial place, Um, one of our partners, John, says, you can quit, but you can never leave, which is, I think, like, kind of accurate. So, um, you know, our partner, Brad, stepped back, but we were just talking about he was in our um, investment team meeting on Monday and just, like, preaching wisdom left and right. Just, like, he's so wise, and he was just... um, so helpful on some of the decisions we needed to make that day. Um, and, and he
2: has not led a new investment for USV in probably three years. Yeah. And he shows up every Monday and we, you know, we're... Just coax knowledge like, out of him. Yeah. We, and so, so I think there's, there's that piece, which is we, even if people uh, glide out in terms of their activity on investing, um, we do everything we can to keep them part of the brain trust. But Brad,
1: uh, so Brad um, stepped back, our partner John stepped back, Everyone else is very committed right now, and yep. for the foreseeable future, you know, it feels like a very, to us, a very um, stable and awesome partnership. We will add to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we will add another partner um, to the firm. They will be based in New York, which we feel strongly about, um, and we're excited to do so. So, recommendations, please. I know, <laughs> like,
0: well, and here's the job description right but, after yeah, this. And
1: we're very much like, trying
0: to get that out there. Um,
1: but, you know, carefully. I yeah. think it's a, the model works with a lot of trust and this kind of collective thinking is hard. And so we're, I think, protective over the group that we're working with.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you both for the time. This was an incredible look under the hood of an organization that I think many of us have just admired for a long time. So thank you and thank you all for being here. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. you.